advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. I'm uh, so excited. Again, I'm Twitterpated because our guest this morning is someone that we haven't talked to for a number of years, but who has stayed in my head and in my heart. I'm talking about Andrew Duff, who you guys have probably seen him most recently on the Netflix show. No, Amazon, excuse me pardon me, Amazon show as uh, we see it. And he plays the character Douglas. And we're we're excited that in just a little while, he's going to be joining us and talking about a great many things. Uh, I'm going to get verklempt. I'm just going to tell you that right now for a lot of different reasons. But let me go through some of the business first, and then we'll get to all the emotion, shall we? So first of all, you're watching Autism Live on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod. I'm your host for the next hour. We are live. Today is Wednesday. I'm checking the date. It's 2.16. Does anyone else feel like Valentine's Day was at least a month or a year ago? Like, doesn't it feel like the longest time from Monday to now? Is it just me? Write in and tell me. Uh, Which is the next thing I want to tell you about is that because the show is live, we are talking interactively with you. If you want to write into us right now, we're live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other places that Traven, our fabulous producer, will show you on the screen right now. If you are not watching us live, if you're watching us in podcast, you might very well be aware of all these places that you can watch us as well. We are a, a, a podcast. We are a free download wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, we are the number one autism podcast worldwide for the second year in a row. That's because of all of you, because you've been so kind. You've watched, you've liked, you've shared, you've reviewed. We just need more of that. Uh, so what we ask is if you find something here that's of interest to you or to someone that you know and love, that you please share them. Now, when we do this show, we always have our mission statement at the forefront of our minds that we're here to provide information and inspiration. That's what we're here for. Good Good morning, Christina. So thrilled to see you here. Uh, That's how you write in, by the way. And then we have the chat interactively. But uh, we're here for information and inspiration for that larger autism community. And if you find yourself asking, what does she mean by that? Well, what I mean, this show is, is for the bigger autism community, which starts with individuals who are on the spectrum, of course. Hey, Nava, how are you? I miss you so much. Mm, Sending you hugs. Uh, So we're, we're, always looking to provide information and inspiration, starting with that autism community that is actually, hashtag actually autistic, which we're going to be talking about a lot during this hour. But we also include in that community, anyone who loves individuals on the autism spectrum. That's what we consider the entire greater autism uh, community. When I say greater, bigger autism community, because we believe that individuals who love individuals on the spectrum, if we band together with individuals on the spectrum, we can get farther, do more, and uh, hopefully get to that place that we're all trying to get to. And by the way, my hope is that by the time we're done, that that will include the entire world, that the entire world will be made up of people who are on the spectrum and people who love, because that's a thing that should be. I'm sorry that it isn't already, but I'm as a proud mama, 
that is where I'm working towards. I came into this community as a mom. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. I knew nothing. And listen, I still don't know. I'm learning, right? I don't, I don't want to say that I don't know nothing. I know a few things, but, I, but I'm learning. And that's what's really important to me is to always, as I say, be a student in the front row. I want to sit in the front row and learn as much as I possibly can. Because like many of you that are out there, if you love someone on the spectrum, they're your be all end all, right? You're going to do whatever you can for them. And we want to learn how to be not only allies, but good allies, right? So we hold hands, we get there together. Si se puede. Puede. Hey, Ka, I'm saying hello to Ka and to Parker. Parker, I'm so thrilled that you're here today. I think you're going to love today's show because I'm going to love today's show. So uh, you know, what's funny is we've been doing this show. We're now in our 11th year. Someone grab a hold of something. I don't know how it could possibly be that we're in our 11th year. So when you stop and think about that, my son was seven when we started this show. That's right. Everybody, you know, rearrange what you were thinking. My son was seven years old when we started doing this show. So when you guys write into me and you say, I have a seven-year-old, Boy, you know, it's all fresh in my memory. I was here doing, hi, I am one. I hope that you uh, uh, are, are going to, because I promised I would get to your question next week, the one that you sent yesterday. And um, so I'm keeping that promise. I, I don't I don't want you to forget. Uh, hello, hello, hello. So uh, anyway, so my son was seven when I started doing this show. And at that time, there were a whole host of things that I was working on. And I would... We would have people on the show that would have teenagers or we would have teenagers on the show or we would have adults that were on the spectrum on the show. And I was just like this. Right. I, you know, being that student in the front row, but a little too intense, maybe because I wanted to know everything and I wanted to pack my backpack with hope. I wanted to know what was possible. Now, don't get me wrong. I was always running around and having that thing in the back of my head where I was like, my kid's going to go to college. But there was also the little voice going, can, is that even possible? Do you know, is that something that can happen? And I maybe wasn't sure. And then I would have somebody on the show who was a college graduate or somebody who was in college or the mom of somebody who was going off to college. And I would go, see, it's possible. It's exciting. Good morning, Michelle. So, and things would inspire me and they would light a fire under me and I would go, okay, this is the direction that we're headed in, Right. And Andrew Duff was one of those people who came on the show. When he came on the show, he had just done a one-man show where at his college. Uh, I'm trying to see, because I, I think I have the, the, the title of it. Uh, where Are We Now? And uh, it was about his story with autism. And here he was, this amazing young man who had been at college and did a one-man show that he wrote himself. And he was off in New York City in the big bad world as an actor and as someone who was contributing to the workforce. And he was so inspirational to me. And he said a couple of things that oh, took my breath away and have stayed with me, lived in my heart. And every once in a while, I take them out and look at them and consult them because I wanted to learn from him. And so he's going to be joining us again today after all these years to come back. He's much further into his career 
And of course, we just saw him play Douglas in As We See It on Amazon. If you haven't seen that series, you need to go. And if you've been watching the reviews that I do, I've recently taken to writing reviews for TV and and film because everybody needs a hobby and the pottery thing, also doing the pottery. Uh, eventually, we're going to be giving away mugs because I've made so many of them. Uh, having my Rubio's tea here. Um, so, uh, you know, you got to have new hobbies. You get to a place and your kids are doing better and you got more free time. You got to have hobbies. So these are my hobbies, writing reviews and watching TV and film and doing pottery. So if you haven't seen my review of as, as we see it, one of the things I said is don't just watch the first two episodes. You've got to stay in at least three episodes. And once you're in three episodes, you're going to stay to the end because You'll, you'll be in love by that. And one of the reasons why you got to wait till the third episode is because Douglas doesn't come in until the third episode. And for me, Douglas is one of the highlights of the show. And Douglas is played by Andrew. So I was so excited to see him again and went, look, there he is. And he's getting it done as a recurring character on a hit show. You got to love that, right? And of course, this is a show is showing all kinds of authentic representation. And so we're going to talk with Andrew about that because I know that's a, that's a subject that's very near and dear to his heart. We'll talk about that and many other things as well. So I uh, want to remind all of you that we have lots of wonderful experts who join us here on the show from time to time. And I always remind you, I'm not one of them. Yes, I'm very opinionated. And I like to say that I have an informed opinion because we've been doing this show now we're in our 11th year. You know, I've interviewed a couple of people. It doesn't mean I'm an expert. It means I have an opinion. <laughs> and I love to share my opinion. So feel free to write in. We love to have your questions. Feel free to tell me your opinion. And please feel free to tell me when your opinion is not the same as mine. That's what I love the most. I love discourse. I really do. Because how does your brain grow if you're not learning and listening to opposing opinions. That's, you know, that's my personal take on things. I know it's not everybody's, but I enjoy it. So feel free to disagree with me here. You're not going to hurt my feelings. All right. But we do like to start the show off on Wednesdays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani are those experts talking about? First, we give you an actual definition I often then make fun of the actual definition, guilty as charged, uh, but that's another hobby of mine. Then we give you the, the working definition, which often makes the experts break out in a hives. That's just a plus. What can I tell you? Like, if they're going to hit us with jargon, then they need to be able to take it when we make fun of them for the jargon. I'm sorry. That's just a thing. And I've said it. Uh, so, but we, but the main thing is, if we can make friends with these terms, if we can start to understand them, then maybe we'll be more productive. Maybe we can be better allies, or maybe we can learn better skills for how to help ourselves, right? This is my theory. I'm sticking to it. Parker says, Shannon is an expert at being Jem's mom. Parker, if you ask Jem, he would tell you that I don't even get a C in that category. <laughs> like I'm just barely skating most days. I'm running to catch up. And and because he changes every day, every time I think, ooh, I just about have it. You know what happens? It's a quality problem. He learns and then I'm behind again. So I, I don't know, Parker, not even that, you know, I'm, I'm very fond of whenever anything happens in our house, I go, oh, well, there goes mother of the year award again. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Anyway, let's take a look at today's jargon term, because I think it's one that we're all going to find 
uh, interesting and maybe a little contentious. So we're talking about repetitive and restrictive behaviors. You know, if you watched Monday's show, we had a lot of technical difficulties, but we were talking about stereotypical behaviors. Uh, and this comes under the same heading, right? When we look at a def, uh, the definition of autism, the the, what, what the diagnosis is and, and what qualifies you for a diagnosis included in that diagnosis is repetitive and restrictive behaviors. So let's take a look at what we're actually talking about. Let's see what we've got for an actual definition, shall we? Whoo, it's a long one and it's from the Journal of Neurodevelopmental Disorders. I'll bet it's good. Restricted repetitive behaviors, RRBs, are heterogeneous, ranging from stereotypic body movements to rituals to restricted interests. RRBs are most strongly associated with autism, but occur in a number of other clinical disorders, as well as in typical development. You know what? I'm not even going to make fun of this definition because I appreciate the fact that it included that last line, that restricted and repetitive behaviors are also seen in typical development. Can we get that on a billboard somewhere? The problem is no one that we need to understand it would understand it. But let's, let's take this and let's whittle this down just a little bit. So let's move on to our working definition, shall we? You might see uh, repetitive and restrictive behaviors in yourself or in your child um, in a lot of different ways. And this is not an exhaustive list here, but these are some of the things that are pretty common, like lining toys up when someone takes and lines their cars up or saying the same words or phrases over and over, requiring sameness, becoming agitated when something changes, etc. RRBs are thought to be a reaction to anxiety. And, you know, there might be some truth to that for some individuals, but I wouldn't say that it's across the board. So we will see that it is, as I said, part of the diagnosis that these things will be present in some way or another if the individual has qualified for an autism spectrum diagnosis, right? But again, lots of people do this and do not qualify for a diagnosis. I'm going to guess that if you're watching this show, there's something that you do that's that's repetitive or restrictive. Just ask yourself, what do you have a rule about? Oh my gosh. If pull my husband in here and say, what are the kinds of things that make me crazy because Shannon has Shannon rules, right? Like, you know, you don't ever wear a pair of pants. I'm talking about even before COVID, you don't ever wear a pair of pants out into the world and sit someplace and then come home and sit on the bed in those pairs of pants. What? I have a rule about that. I can't hang with that. I lose my mind. I cannot deal. Everything shuts down. I like go into a capsule and I cannot breathe, right? So that's me. And I have about 7 million of those because I'm a little bit OCD, right? She said a little, yeah, more than a little maybe. But what do you have that's repetitive or restrictive? Everybody has something, right? Parker says, is eating only one food a restrictive behavior? Yes. If you only eat one class of food or you only eat one color or one texture, that's a restrictive behavior because you're not, you're not allowing yourself 
to do other things. It's not part of your rule structure. So, you know, if we all have this uh, to some degree, what's the big deal here? And, and boy, that's going to set us up for today's interview, right? Um, but, but here's the ticket here. Sometimes being restrictive means that you're incredibly passionate about something and very focused, right? And other times it can be something that gets in your way. If what you really want to do, for instance, is be in a wonderful romantic relationship with someone where you feel loved and they feel loved and you're happy, and yet you have a restrictive behavior that is preventing you from being in that relationship, well, now we're at loggerheads, right? What if you have a restrictive behavior, like let's just take Howie Mandel for a second, because here's somebody who's pretty much in the public eye. He's a comedian. He's, you know, he used to go out and do comedy clubs and now, you know, he's a television personality and he's on the, all these different things. He's out in the public all the time. And as a man who grew up during the time period that he grew up, it would have been expected that you go someplace and you shake somebody's hand. That was what the social norm was. And here's Howie, and he couldn't do it because it freaked him out too much. He can't touch other people's hands. He doesn't want to. It's too much of a germ thing for him. He's been incredibly open about that. So how did he figure out his life so that these two things could exist in the same place? How did he figure out how do I do a talk show? How do I appear on the Letterman show and not come out and shake hands with David Letterman? So, you know, and what he did was he sort of rewrote the script for himself and said, I'm going to fist bump and I'm going to tell people when I have to. And he was okay with the fist bump. Some people are not even okay with a fist bump, right? Um, but he, he found a workaround for himself so that he could do what he wanted to do and still feel comfortable with it himself. Now, there's a whole list of things that you can do for repetitive and restrictive behaviors, but we shouldn't apply it carte blanche to anything or anyone. If, if first of all, we got to look at the behavior and, and think about what is the function of this behavior? Because if it's a reaction to anxiety and you just try to take it away, guess what you're going to do? You're going to cause more anxiety. And if what you were really wanting to do is to be a caring individual to this person, causing anxiety, not going to be helpful. So first we want to look and say, is this something that is soothing anxiety? And if it is, is there something else that we can give this individual to do that's even more pr productive? Um, because, you know, if, if you know OCD people, and I might know a few, um, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And maybe the their thing is they got to touch the doorknob five times before they leave. And that's the only way that they can leave. And if you try to tell them, just don't do it, I'm going to make it so that you can't touch the doorknob. Oh, good luck. You're not going to have a good time because they're certainly not going to have a good time and they're going to need to come back to do it because that's the nature of what a compulsion is, Right. Instead, if you want to work on what is, what is the feeling, why is that the safety net? And can we, can we find you a better safety net and work through it? Then it's possible the person finds something else that fulfills the need and they don't have to go back and touch it five times. There are other people who it, the compulsion will be too much. And there are people who benefit from being on medication that helps to quiet that part of the brain, right? We talked about that with Dr. Grampy Shea yesterday. Um, 
but it, I think the thing that I want us all to realize and accept and love ourselves for is that everyone has some element of this. It is not all bad. And almost all of it is necessary to that person in the moment. So don't be yanking things away from people until you know what you're dealing with. And until you've given them something that works, don't have an expectation that it's going to go away. Yes, Parker, I was just thinking about Big Bang Theory that does that whole thing where he has to knock. Is it three times? I thought it was five times. And, and you know, where, where he'll knock on the door and go, Penny, Penny, Penny. Maybe it is three times. And if she opens the door before he gets to the third time, he still has to do the other two times because he just can't move on, right? Um, so we need to be compassionate. We need to be understanding. We need to be looking at how we deal with these things, how we overcome them, but we can't just be yanking things out and we can't just label them as unnecessary. I think, you know, that's the complete antithesis of what we just have been talking about. It always serves a purpose. Um, okay. So moving on, cause I want to get to our guest. He's here. Uh, all right, let's go on to our question of the day. Our question today, and you could be answering for that on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, we love to hear your answers to question. Do you have any rituals? I already asked you that. Do you have anything that you feel compelled to do or anything that you feel better when you do a certain ritual? My goodness, my dad was a softball coach. And if the team won, he had to wear that shirt for every game until they lost. Uh, that's a restrictive uh, behavior. Um, and stimming can be a form of anxiety. Yes, Ka. Uh, it can be, but it can also um, be, so the thing about stimming, and we've talked about stimming before on the show, stimming can be something that regulates you. So maybe it helps you to be present, or maybe it helps you to calm yourself. Um, you know, for each person, it's going to be individual, but the same thing with stimming that we don't automatically label it and say, oh, that's negative. We have to get rid of that. That is, that is not the way we want to be thinking about things. We want to be thinking about what does the person need? And is this something that's getting in the way of things that they need? And only then do we want to venture in and try to work on it. Okay. Um, okay. So in any case, let's move on. Keep writing in. What are your rituals? Uh, we love to hear those. Let's talk about what our topic of the week is. Oh, Parker, you used to eat donuts uh, when you were a quiz bowl competitor in high school. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, I am one. Stimming is it is not the same as a burnout. Um, we've actually covered stimming in the jargon, and I would I would I, I want to move on, but we might come back to this. So. Um, but I do want to get to the guest because you'll want to see the guest. So our topic this week is that normal is a setting on the dryer and that perhaps if we can stop thinking of normal as something that we all want to strive for um, and as, as if there is a normal um, and as our guest says in, in the hit show, uh, as we see it, uh, what's so great about normal? Uh, really? 
I mean, that was my favorite part of the show when, when, uh, when that gets said. Uh, so we're going to talk with him about that. And perhaps we'll talk about this, that normal is a setting on the dryer. So as I said at the beginning of the show, this is the second time that Andrew Duff has joined us. He is a New York-based actor. He was raised in Hill- Hillsboro, New Jersey. Uh, where he pursued short films and skits with his friends as a child and a teen. Then later, while attending Benetton College, he wrote a one-man show titled Where Are We Now?, which explored his diagnosis of autism and the concept of what it means to, quote, get better. Uh, This work caught the attention of the Tectonic Theater Project, and he spent the next few years working with them on the off-Broadway show Uncommon Sense, which I'm devastated that I did not get to see. Since then, he has made the jump to TV and film, recurring on Little Voice on Apple TV. And as we see it on Amazon Studios, Andrew was also featured in the December 2020 BuzzFeed article, Five Autistic Actors You Should Be Watching Now, listing him along with the names of Mickey Rowe, Alex Plank, Kayla Cromer, and our dear Kobe Bird. Uh, He is represented, in case you want to know, by Kazarian, Measures, Ruskin, and Associates, and we are thrilled to have him back with us after all these years. Andrew, are you there? I am, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me back. I think Uh, the first time we did this, 2014, 2015, something like that? Yeah, it was a long time ago. And I was saying at the start of the show that you were such an inspiration to me then because... I now, Andrew, my son is now 18 years old and a college student, but he wasn't then. And when you came on the show then, you were just like a flashlight in the woods for me because I saw what you were doing and I was like, okay, um, we want to get to where Andrew is. And it it just showed me everything that was possible. So I can't leave that out. You've been an inspiration to me. I've been following you. Um, whenever I can, the things, and when I saw that you were going to be on, as we see it, I just about lost my mind. And then I just loved you on this show, Andrew. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you liked it. I'm going to cry. I just thought that Douglas was, Douglas was everything that I needed. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, I just felt like you were. I think it's the best written character um, on the show. And I felt like, cause you know, I was sort of watching and everybody has a different voice there. And I was looking mm. for where Jason Kadem's voice was and where his thesis was, if you will. And I feel like it was you. Did you ever feel that? You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, Douglas as, as a reincurring character, you know, you only sort of get uh, little little glimpses at him as opposed to uh, the characters of Violet, Jack, and, and Harrison. And um, because you only get these flashes, I think you, you, you only get a, a glimpse into Douglas. And a lot of Douglas's character is really based on this idea that, because a big, a big thing that a lot of the characters are pursuing in this is this need to be normal, is this need to to transcend their diagnosis or themselves in, in some way, shape, or form. Douglas, I, I, I don't know if he has necessarily the same viewpoint. I, I think he really does um, feel content with who he is and, and sort of what he's about. Of course, he has his moments of self-doubt and his moments of, oh, maybe I should be this way in order to accomplish something. But Douglas, I, <laughs> I, think, I think in a lot of ways, is even braver than me. Uh, he really says what he what he's thinking all the time. 
and he um you know just kind of goes for it and i think he really takes chances and he really does he's nervous but he does believe in himself in a way that i think not a lot of people get the opportunity to to be uh so playing douglas was just great I'll bet. I I, I want to know everything about it, but I but I just have to say that uh, you were fantastic in it. And if people have not seen this, you need to go and watch it right now on Amazon. And I said at the beginning, I, I did a review on this and I said, don't you dare just watch the first episode. You have to watch until at least the third episode because Douglas doesn't appear until the third episode. And I guarantee you, once you're in the third episode, you're not going to be able to stop it until you're done with the whole thing. And and really, that last episode is killer. Absolutely the, killer. The last episode is just really, I don't want to spoil anything right. about it. But, you know, some uh, honestly, the acting throughout the show is oh, is phenomenal all the way through. Sue NPN, Albert Ritecki, Rick Glassman, Sozie Bacon, Chris Pank, Lou, everyone just brings it. And yeah. But the last episode in particular, everyone's firing on all cylinders. It's really it's really yeah. a great show. I definitely, you know, I should recommend you watch it, but I sincerely really do recommend that, that, uh, you watch it, especially if you are involved in, in the, in this community, uh, yeah. that we have here in some way, I think you'll, you'll really connect to, to at least one of the characters, if not all, all of them. So talk to us a little bit about the process of when did you first hear about this show? When when did you audition? How did you get the role? What was it like being on set? Because this this show is groundbreaking in that there are multiple characters on the spectrum, and from the beginning, the 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 directive I believe was that they were going to cast it authentically. Mm -hmm. um, but there were also people on the crew set that were actually autistic as well. So tell us everything. Right. So um, we'll just start from the top. So. Uh, Jason Kadem's really uh, based this on a uh, on an Israeli Israeli format. Uh, I believe that one was called On the Spectrum, uh, and I apologize if I'm wrong on that, but I know that no, I uh, right. he was basing it on that. And the pilot, I believe, was actually filmed right before the pandemic hit. Mm. Um, so the pilot was filmed, and they got uh, Sue Ann, uh, Rick, and 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 Albert on there, and they filmed the pilot. And then I think it just had to stop because yeah. of, 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 of um, quarantine and everything like that. So during that time, you know, I, I had uh, had a really lovely time on Little Voice. I was coming off of that uh, also in quarantine. And I was, as I am now, I was represented by uh, KMR talent, Gail and Katie in particular. And this past, not um, 2021, February, I was actually walking home from getting my first vaccine, uh, vaccine uh, shot, and uh, I got a call from my agent saying, hey, you know, we, you remember that audition, taped audition you did about a week or two back, because I sent in the taped audition for the character of Douglas, because uh, I had restarted filming, yeah. and I'm, I was on the way home from the shot, and they said, hey, they really like you, can you be, are you, can you fly out? I said, okay, sure, when, thinking it'd be two weeks to a month, they said Thursday, and it was Tuesday. So I said, Okay, I got to back up and, and get out there. So it was it was a whirlwind of stuff, you know, hop, and then especially like between that and COVID, you know, getting on an airplane, going through the whole process, quarantining in the hotel, which by the way, they took COVID measures extremely seriously, getting tested all the right. time. And it, it actually made me feel even safer than I was already. Um, 
so I get there. I finally get on set after quarantining in the in the hotel for a little bit, and I was so nervous because I had you know I had, I had worked in a uh, little voice in New York, but I I literally took a bus from my apartment straight to the to the studio. I knew exactly where I was, so I think there was a sense of comfort with that situation. But this was a whole new whole new bag of worms to me. Um, and my first scene was with uh, Sue, Sue Ann and, and Sozie Bacon, and they were just amazing and outstanding and super supportive. And, and I remember Rick Glassman was there and he was supportive. And, uh, you know, we got, we, after my first, I think one or two takes of initial nervousness, we really got it rolling. And the, the set life was just really great. The entire vibe, everyone was super warm, was super accommodating. And the fact that not only, not only were the main characters that are, um, defined as on the spectrum actually played by individuals on the spectrum but they're and then as you said we have the the crew we have people behind the scenes working on it we have consultants um there are actually some characters in the show that are are defined as neurotypical but they're played by a neurodiverse cast uh so there was like it's a little bit of a fun game to see if you could catch who um who are playing these roles but they really made authenticity the name of the game not just in front of the camera but behind it and i actually think that's sort of the sort of the magic touch sort of the next step that our community needs to take is not just representation in front of the camera but representation behind it whether it's um crew whether it's producing whether it's writing whether it's directing because i think that's really the big next step in in major change and as we see it has taken a massive step forward in that regard yeah, I can't agree enough. Now, some people are going to be watching this and they're going to look at you, Andrew, and they're going to go, you know, I mean, they're going to, they're going to go, oh my gosh, I don't, we don't see autism. Um, I'm sure mm -hmm. that you've been plagued with this throughout your life. Um, that, you know, it's like, what do you know, I, <laughs> you get to identify however you identify and then people go, oh, I don't get it. Um, but, you know, I want to talk with you about what it's like when you're, you've been cast many times as individuals on the spectrum and often their level of functioning, their understanding of the world, their perspective of the world is different than yours. Might mm -hmm. be for any actor um, playing any role, right? But what is that like for you? You know, watching you play Douglas because Douglas is different from you. Mm -hmm. And his autism is different than how that presents in you. Um, but then I also got the, you have a short film that's out right now. Is it, is it Dig? It is Dig. Yeah. And actually Dig was filmed before Little Voice. And um, as we see it, that was filmed back in 2019. That was when uh, Uncommon Sense first wrapped. Wow. And uh, I had just uh, uh, left Autism Speaks to, to pursue acting more full time. And, so that was a short film that uh, John O'Seneth, the director, reached out to me to do. And uh, that was a really interesting character of Russell because Russell is pretty pretty severely affected, needs a lot of uh, support. And that's uh, the big crux of the story is, is how much support he needs. Mm -hmm. But it he was based on, on two individuals. Uh, John O'Seneth got the inspiration from two real individuals on the spectrum. So... Uh, we went over these individuals. I studied them. I, I sort of looked at their mannerisms and, and how they operated. And then I, I melded them. Um, with Douglas, 
I I took Douglas as being ner- like nervous but brave. Like he he wants to he doesn't want to retreat. He wants to really get over it. And I tried to um, take a little bit of myself and and my nerves and the stuff that is inherent within you know my my uh, place on the spectrum, and then try to tweak it ever so slightly to get to get to Douglas levels. And that's sort that's sort of the magical thing about playing characters on the spectrum is I think people with perspective they might think there's only one or two or three ways to do it. But there are like any character in any medium, there are so many ways to approach it. They could they could be very stim heavy, very physical, they could be nonverbal, they could have facial tics, or they could have nothing. They could be uh, completely masking. Uh, uh, for lack of a better term, and that's that's also a to- big topic in as we see it as well, which was aw- lovely to see the topic of masking and the idea of passing as normal. Um, and so I try to approach every character with not necessarily where they are on the spectrum, but you know what physicality do they have, what um, vernacular do they have, how do they talk, do they is there anything triggering? And I try to find the stimulus that really affects them and then maneuver from there. Is it a little frustrating though, having to deal with the fact that sometimes people just don't understand that, that you're a professional, that you're an oh. actor and that you're <laughs> playing a role. And and then it's like, they only set t- tend to understand either that or, or they understand authentic representation, but they have a hard time putting them together. Does that make yeah. sense? It does. And and it's it's interesting because I've I've encountered this basically since on common sense. And this has been uh something that I've actually become really fascinated by is this uh, just just a, an anecdote to get to to make the point clearer. In uncommon sense, we had four clearly defined individuals on the spectrum, arguably five or six, depending on, you know, if you look at the story and, and how you interpret it. And at all different places, one per, uh, character, my character Moose was nonverbal and self-injurious. Another character uh, used a speaking pad. Another character would be defined as the defunct, now defunct Aspergian uh, sort of style, were just very quirky. And so all over the map in terms of the spectrum. And there would still be people that came to the show and still felt like maybe they weren't represented, whether they were a self-advocate or a parent. Maybe... And they could see they could see elements of it, but they didn't feel like they really it really captured their experience. And that was interesting because when you have so many characters on the spectrum and you still and and people still don't feel um like they got it, you you start to wonder is that something in the writing or is that something inherent in in how autism is perceived? Mm -hmm. And I, after doing multiple characters and still encountering this um this feedback. I think a huge part of it is this perspective that people, because autism is so close to them or because of how it's portrayed in media, it, it becomes narrow and it becomes tough to uh, get wrap your head around how broad the spectrum is. And I think that's always going to be a big, a big issue in terms of representation as, as many characters as you could put on there, there's going to be people that maybe to them, it feels false or maybe it feels wrong, not because, it inherently is, but it, it doesn't resonate with their personal yeah. experiences. And yeah, there was a bit of frustration at first, but now I think it's more of a drive to just keep trying new characters and keep 
changing up the formula as much as we can. I don't know if it's a goal we're ever going to hit. It might yeah. be that we have to work on the perception of autism first before that ever changes. But I think it's just a fascinating phenomenon almost that you could have all these characters and still people feel unrepresented. It's just a testament to how broad the spectrum actually is. I, I think that's a great answer. Uh, I, and, and I'm glad that you brought up that there were several times I thoroughly enjoyed and As We See It where we got to see, because many people had been on the show, um, Lillian, you know, we got to see her play yeah. character that was not on the spectrum, that was one of the people working in the office and to see, you know, to see that happen. Um, our, I hope that as an actor that you are getting opportunities to play the full breadth of people on the spectrum, off the spectrum. Do you feel like it's a little bit harder for people to recognize you in that way? Um, I, I, yes and no. You know, again, I think in my, because again, I we, we discussed this earlier, but I tend to just inherently be viewed as passing, you know, I'll be out at a social event and mention that I'm on the spectrum and people usually, I would say 80% of the time, it's like, oh, I, I never would have guessed that or you're lying or that sort of thing. And you just sort of get used to it a little bit, you know, and I think the people that really know me uh, or have spent time with me can sort of clock and be like, oh yeah, I, I can I can see it now. It's one of those, the more exposure you have to the person, you, you sort of figure it out. But um, with with that and auditioning, you know, normally people will just see a headshot or a voice reel or a, a video reel. And then I go in and do do the audition. So uh, hopefully and generally, it doesn't become a, a topic of conversation unless A, the, the project is specifically about the spectrum, which admittedly a lot of a lot of the work that I go out for it for is nowadays. Um, or if I end up getting the role and certain accommodations might need to be met, not even because I don't really need supports in a certain way, just more of a heads up of, hey, I might I might ask extra questions just to orient myself or um, I might need this or that, but nothing uh, particularly major. Um, yeah, so it, it becomes, uh, I don't think it's necessarily pulled me back. That being said, because I am outspoken and I have, um, you know, put myself out as a self-advocate. Sometimes that does translate to people pigeonholing yeah. an actor into that role. And that's sort of the catch-22 where I want to be the self-advocate and I want to own it. But sometimes by virtue of doing that, it uh, it puts you into a typecast immediately. Not that I actually think it's a great typecast to be in because as we discussed, yeah. there's so much variety. But yeah. yeah, you know, there is, there's always that feeling of wanting to break free and, and try new stuff. And I think that's just acting in general, you know, all my actor friends tend to, you know, uh, be drawn or be pulled into certain types of characters. And I think every actor wants to sink their teeth into as many roles as possible. So that's just a kind of a human actor experience. I don't know if it's necessarily even just for uh, the autism community. There you go. I, I, I'm so glad to have you back on the show because there was something that we talked about the last time that you were here all those years ago that has just really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. um, that when you were doing your one man show, which just whew, took my breath away, uh, again, it was called Where Are We Now? And my recollection all these years later, because I got to see um, a video of it and there's 
Oh my gosh, there was one scene that you did where it's just you, just two folding chairs, but you play yourself as a child, mm-hmm. yourself in the present, your mom and your dad in the car. Uh, oh, Andrew, um, I, I, it has stayed with me all these years later. Um, listening to the, you as a child, listening to the conversation of your parents talking about your diagnosis and what was going to happen and what was life going to be like for you. I could just put my head down right now and cry, but it really is some beautiful work. You really are someone who has, uh, as an artist has a point of view that is just shattering to me. And one of the things that you, one of the topics that you talked about in the show was that there was, and I don't want to paraphrase, so you correct Mm -hmm. me if I get this wrong, but, um, but you, there were times that you were questioning that with all the help that was given to you, that you were brought from a place where you were in an insular world by yourself into an awareness of the world. And that, that everybody sort of celebrated that because here you are this amazing who you are, but that there when you questioned whether it would have been kinder to have left you in that capsule where you didn't have to worry about the world. Tell Mm. me that this is my recollection of it, but you tell me uh, what you were saying then and, and then help me, where are you now as a, you know, an adult who has been through this process, what are your thoughts on this now? Yeah, where, uh, where are we now? Pretty, pretty uh, apropos. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, so you pretty much nailed it right on the head. Um, and I forget if I mentioned this on, on the last time I was here, but uh, sort of the influence for, for that statement, which ended up becoming sort of the theme of, of the show, was I was actually the prior year I had taken a literature and philosophy on innocence course. And this idea of, of what innocence, there's so many definitions of innocence. And, and one of, one of those is, um, born, uh, both kind of both born as you are, but also not, not, um, you know, knowledge and, and gaining knowledge of the world is, is often viewed as, as a loss of innocence to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because, you know, growth is always encouraged, but at the same time, uh, at, at the expense of innocence. And I always found just a fascinating topic in the philosophy of innocence to be a very fascinating subject. And when I put it into the context of autism, it, it became this, this story or, or this thought process of would I have been more innocent and then by some schools of thought better off um, without gaining knowledge of, of, of um, the world or, or not being put into uh, positions and scenarios that I probably, that, that if, if I had not um, reached the point now, I might not have been put in. Uh, one of the clarifying things uh, over the past uh, better part of a decade that I've learned both in my, my time working with the autism community and pursuing these roles and just introspection on my own part is I don't know if I, there's no way to tell. Um, I think I, I definitely think the supports and the schooling and the intervention helped to a degree. Um, where I would have ended up with or without, I, 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 I couldn't really speak for sure. And I think uh, that's a big part of part of the equation is I don't know if there's a way to guarantee 
anything. I think you simply have to do the best you can and then see sort of see where it ends up. So that was a big thing that I uh, came to terms with and figured out that maybe to a degree, this was this was how it's supposed to be. Maybe that's that's what it was, or maybe it really was all because of the supports and because of the the interventions. And um, coming to grips with that was was a big part of of where I landed now. And I think where I landed now is um, still fast. I'm still fascinated by the conversation of innocence and and maintaining um, some semblance of that. I think it's it's transitioned more into. Um, a comfort with oneself. I think at that time in my life, I was I was wondering if I should just if there was a like a back pedal or push the brakes and go back and live life completely that way. I think the way I, I view it now is uh, enjoying myself for who I am and not feeling the need to uh, change things that are inherent and positive in me. Uh, that being said, you know, a lot of our community tends to mask and tends to um, try to put on a face or try to fit into a box or try to pursue normalcy or be normal in some way. And I think both through the characters I've played and through, through my own experiences, it's been more beneficial to me to not only not have to feel that way all the time, but to really embrace the, the parts of me that that are inherent, whether it's spectrum or not. So, you know, when, I, when I'm around close friends, I don't really mind if I need to take a breather or if I need to walk away or if I need to decompress. I don't mind nowadays saying, you know what, I actually don't really wanna go out tonight. I think I need a decompression night in. I don't mind if I'm out, that if I leave early or, you know, talking about the things I wanna talk about or even stimming uh, a little bit in some way or not making that eye contact if I don't need to make that eye contact. And by embracing that, I think I found myself embracing myself and enjoying myself a lot more. And it's only benefited my acting work because I'm more in touch with that element myself that I don't think I was as in touch with uh, back when I first did um, Where Are We Now back in 2012. Uh, so it's been sort of a long journey, both through my work uh, in the nonprofit world, my work with the autism community as a whole, my work with acting, and then my self-work um, has sort of led me to the point of basically loving myself in, in any form that it comes in. I, I could listen to you talk forever because you're clearly an intelligent guy. And as I said, you have a, pers uh, a perspective that we don't hear enough of. But you, I wonder, Andrew, do you know how many people will watch this and go, I would give everything if my child someday could grow up and be like Andrew, that Andrew has a life, Andrew has mm -hmm. friends, Andrew has a job, Andrew can talk articulately about his feelings, about himself and the world, and that Andrew has found a place where he loves himself. It's like, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, wow, if, you know, how do I, how do I get to there? I, you know, I certainly as a parent was someone who I think I, I share with what every parent in the community says, which I want to do right by my child. I want to help my child to do whatever they can, understanding that everyone's different. Mm -hmm. There are no two people alike. No two stories are going to end the same way. No two interventions are exactly right for any two people because everybody is different. 
but we're all searching for how do we show up and be the best parent for our child. So all those years ago, when here you were like, you're, you're, you're kind of, I mean, forgive me, but you're like the poster of where we'd all like to get to. Um, like, do you, can you own that? Do you understand what I mean by that? Or is that just like, you don't really need that hanging on you? Well, no, it's, you know what, it's actually, because it's something I've heard, heard a lot, you know, especially during my time at, at, at Autism Speaks and a big part of, of learning about the community. And, you know, I, I, I am extraordinarily proud of, of where I am and where I've gone. I know my family is, is very proud. My fa- friends are proud. Um, there is an element to it that I... Cause there it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's definitely not all sunshine and rainbows on, on my end either. Yeah. You know, you know, there, there's definitely, you know, elements of anxiety that I deal with elements of depression that I deal with elements of, of social anxiety, a lot of social anxiety, uh, that even if it doesn't appear that it's happening, it's happening uh, quite a bit. Um, and so there are elements of it that, you know, or, or mine and my own, and and I still st- deal with those, and those those are my struggles. And like you said, every individual is dealing with something different. You know, I, I've encountered, I, I think, a lot of parents, um, this idea of wanting to help their child the most that they can, uh, it can be interpreted in in sort of a negative light. Uh, there has been in the past few years, especially, a lot of contention between um, parts of the autism community. You know, a lot of self-advocates have been standing up and saying, you know, we need our voices heard and this is what happened to us and sharing their stories, which are are really insightful and really important because we need those voices at the table. Uh, And as one myself, I'm I'm in that camp. Uh, But then I'm also very privy to the sort of the parental side and the, the teacher side and the therapist side and the caregiver side as well. And their their viewpoints are, are valid as well because you know they're the ones going through it and certain individuals do need more support or may not be able to uh speak for themselves in in, in the same way i i do firmly believe that every individual on the spectrum can communicate uh doesn't have to be verbal doesn't have to be through a speaking device it could be physical it could be sign language it could just be by a look i firmly believe that every individual can communicate uh basic needs and what they're feeling uh, that being said, you know, once you start getting to nuances, it gets a little more complicated. And I think that's the word that can describe the situation for a lot of people is it's complicated. It's a very complicated situation. And because everyone's dealing with something different, you're going to get so many different answers or theories on what's on what's best for, for an individual. And the only thing I could really say for that is um, what works for me might work for for another individual it might i would actually almost argue that it that it probably won't because it's so broad that i think every individual and parent and caregiver needs to look at the situation um get as much exposure as you can and and then as i am still learning as i think it's an ongoing process but learning to love the the elements and not not change them you know um i talked about not feeling the need to make eye contact all the time. And it's been a relief to let myself drop that if I need be, because I just found out I listen better if I'm not looking somebody in the eye because I'm not as focused on it. And I found that generally the people I interact with, even if it seems weird at first, they generally don't mind it. And um, 
it's becoming a bit of a ramble, but the long story. No, it's, brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. But I, I think, I think a big thing that I would always push, no matter the situation, is integration both with under other individuals on the spectrum, other parents and caregivers that are going through similar situations, and just the general population in general. I don't think individuals should limit themselves to a box or to a one-on-one -on -one situation. I think the only way to find the answers that individuals need, whether it's it's self-identity, whether it's, it's help with things such as fine motor skills, whether it's uh, finding a voice, I think the best way to do that is to surround yourself with other voices and gather as many opinions as you can, as many perspectives as you can. And that's what that's what benefited me the most. So I would say the one thing I would recommend to anyone, um, basically on the spectrum or not, is um, exposure and integration. Oh, Andrew, I would vote you for you for president if you were running. So, um, so keep that in mind if you ever need someone to make the coffee for your campaign. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but in yes. case you don't already love Andrew, Andrew, talk to us about what the Kaiser Room is and what your involvement is with them. Yeah, so Kaiser's Room is is a is a not for profit uh, currently based in in New York City in the tri state area where we. Um, we get we 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 give uh, classes in sort of performing and dance and just fun classes for for all individuals on the spectrum. Now we do have a, a lean towards the the ASD community and, and and cognitive disabilities in general, but we our goal is imagination and connection. And uh, imagination and connection are two of the big things that I'm a, a big proponent of because that just comes through in acting, right? You know, imagination is just letting yourself discover things and go wild and there's no wrong answers and the connection of kaiser's room is we bring these individuals into the room with our teaching artists and we we let them be themselves there is no wrong answer they will never be discouraged from from what they want to pursue and what they want to do and kaiser's room at its core is all about giving individuals that might struggle to find a space to be themselves and express themselves in an artistic way, whether it's dance or, or improv or whatever, to have that space and to feel connected and to feel loved and to, and to say yes. You know, one of the big rules of improv is always say yes. Mm -hmm. It's always yes in these rooms. And that and those are our three big pillars, imagination, connection and yes. So and I'm on I'm on I'm on the uh, I've been on the board for about four years now. I, it's always a pleasure to get to go to one of our events. We're finally we, we were on Zoom for a while. I think everyone, you know, we had our struggles during the during the pandemic, but we're getting back into the room. We're really excited to, to get back to our community and just to keep pushing forward with it. So if people want to know more about Kaiser's room, where where would they go for information? You could go to uh, Kaiser's, I'm going to check the website right now, just make sure I give the right run. Yep, kaisersroom.org. That is K-A-I-S-E-R-S room.org. And we have our mission statement. We have sizzle reels. You could look at our classes and, and sort of the community we work with. And no, it's just, I, I couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of this uh, community. It's, it's really a great cause. And you can watch Andrew on Amazon right now in As We See It, Catch Him as Douglas. Douglas doesn't appear until the third episode, so yes. make sure you stick with it. And by then, you'll be so hooked, and you, you're going to want to watch to the last hour. The last hour is off 
the charts. It's just incredible. Um, and Andrew, like, should, is there a place where they can go and watch you and dig, which I found amazing, by the way. Thank you so much. Yeah, dig. Uh, if you could, I, I don't have a website on hand, but if you just Google, if you just YouTube uh, dig uh, and the director is John O'Seneff, S-E-N-E-F-F, it'll pop up immediately. Um, and it's a short film. It has, it's really um, a powerful little piece. It's heartbreaking. I, I will alert everyone that it's, it's definitely a heartbreaking short film, but it's, um, it's, it's, I, I would say it's well worth watching. It's also beautifully shot. The cinematography is kind of through the roof yeah. on that one. And it really um, shows your acting chops. So after seeing this interview, go watch that and you'll go, okay, that young man can act. Um, just amazing. And Andrew, you know, we want to stay in touch. I don't want it to be another seven years. Uh, before <laughs> far too on. long. Yeah. It's way too long. Thank you so much. You continue to be an inspiration to all of us. Keep doing the good work that you're doing. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on Shannon. It's a, it's always a pleasure being here and hopefully sooner than later. <laughs> yes. If you come to LA, let me know. Will do. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye. I, I promised you that he was wonderful and wasn't he? Oh, just couldn't you just spend forever uh, listening to him? Amazing, amazing. So uh, make sure that you watch as we see it. I want to alert you to the fact that tomorrow we're replaying an episode of Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, a rerun, but it's one of the best shows we've done in a long time. Uh, got an amazing autism mom who, uh, Julie Wadeen, this is just from a couple of weeks ago, but if you missed it, it bears a repeating. And we have Pastiche Graham who joins us. She was the young woman featured on The Undercover Boss. And uh, you will love her. She is just a light. So make sure that you tune in tomorrow. We're going to be back on Monday. I believe that on Monday, it's Summer Dabs that we have on on the show, if I'm not mistaken, an amazing occupational therapist. And if you don't understand what occupational therapy might be doing for you or for your child in the school setting or outside the school setting. Summer's going to be here to set us all straight and on the, on the path to all the good things. I just, it makes me bonkers that there are so many things that a good OT can do for us and for our kids that we tend to not, if we don't know, we don't know to ask for them. So summer will set us straight. So all of that is coming up in within the next week. I will see you back then live on Monday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.